Hello and welcome to the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. I'm Caroline Quentin and in this episode we'll be chatting all about Me and My Girl, Festival 2018 Summer Musical. I don't know, can you hear my knees creaking from where you are? So sit back, relax and enjoy what we've got in store for you. So joining me now, I've got our artistic director, Daniel Evans, who also has directed our summer musical, Me and My Girl. And I also have, and it may take me a moment to say this, musical supervisor, musical director and musical arrangements, Gareth Valentine, around the piano today. So hello, Thibaut. Hi. Hi. Gareth, I must say, I love that long title. It just adds so many more layers to you. Yeah, it's like the Lord High Everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's quite vainglorious and I love it for that reason. Totally deserved. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) So how are you both doing today? Yeah, good. I mean, you know, we've had a roller coaster of an opening week because, unfortunately, Matt Lucas, you know, was told that he had to rest by the doctor that we sent him to on Monday. And so Ryan Pigeon, the understudy, has been doing a really sterling job. And, you know, it's it's been high emotions and Matt is recovering brilliantly so that's good and and we've had some very nice reviews so it's you know it's yeah it's been a crazy week so me and my girl is an absolute classic and there's so many like renowned numbers known by really everyone and anyone how are you bringing such a timely classic to life (laughs) where to start well I've known this piece for quite a while. Oddly enough, I didn't see it in the 80s because it was just before my time when it was a big hit when Stephen Fry amended the book. But I knew that it was a show that was um, had a big heart as well as big tunes. And it was a, a rare thing, which is a classic British musical from this period. But I didn't want it to just sit in aspic. I wanted to make sure that it spoke to now because its themes are universal, that love makes the world go round and I felt that during these times it would be good to give our audiences here in Chichester a great night out where they could come away from the doom and gloom that's in the world and so you know I I rang Gareth and said Gareth you know this is what I'm thinking of and what do you think about collaborating on giving it a new lick of paint and and looking at how these tunes and these this wonderful score can be reignited and of course, um, that's all I needed to say to Gareth because he's, his brain works so fast and so energetically and also his musical knowledge is second to none. So before very long, he, Alistair David, the choreographer and I were in Gareth's flat around Gareth's piano and Gareth was basically being a one-man orchestra giving us, you know, two options of we could do this and we could do this and we were all getting, you know, quite excited. Yes. I mean, there's a rule, you know, because you have to be respectful to the material. Because, I, you know, when I worked on Porgy and Bess and Trevor and, 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 and Kiss Me Kate, and I invented, and guys and dolls, all the shows, but you invented new dance music because what that does is that once the song is finished, you can go anywhere you, li- you like. And often choreographers, they'll listen to recordings of other shows and they'll use music from other productions or they'll, or they'll use, you know, kind of music from other sources. But, but a dance arranger, which is a thing that's not quite understood here yet, is somebody who can take a song and work with a choreographer and a di- director and customise the music. Not just the dance music, but the music which accompanies the song and, and, uh, and give it an expression, which is, which is very much to do with what's going on on stage. So you've kind of both kind of at this next question, but elaborate a little bit more if you can. So what has the process been in kind of shaping the piece? Like, was there a lot of work that went in before the first day of rehearsals was even in sight? 
A huge amount, yeah. Um, we met a few times, as I said, round the round Gareth's piano. But then I have to say, you know, the, in terms of the music, the lion's share of the work was done by Gareth writing out the score in, with your own hand, yes, yeah, um, yeah. rather than on a computer. Well, well because that's qu- it's quick. It's much quicker. Right. I've tried writing on a computer, but the t- by the time I've you got to the end of the first page, all the ideas are gone, and I find with writing, I pretty much go, you know, write very very fast. And if I if I go slow, I think too much, so I, I just write stuff out you know very quickly. So in the two about two and a half weeks, I I kind of written the whole score, pretty much. I thought it was going to take six weeks, but it was just so quick. But that was once I'd had um, extensive discussions with uh, with um, Daniel and Alistair, choreo- choreographer, and number by number, we decided what between ourselves what the numbers should be. What dramatic ideas. For example, I think it was Dan's idea to have on the arrival of Bill Snibson, who arrives as the Earl, that we did um, Zadok the Priest. That was your idea, as I recall. And it works wonderfully on stage. So the big Handelian, you know, um, overture. And that wonderful chord that, you know, I can hear the bells of Westminster Abbey and I can see the Dean of Westminster standing there with this solemn bell, you know, and as the procession happens. And it just works wonderfully well. Added to which, in the original score, they had what they called the Preparation Fugue, which Nautily, the company, referred to as Preparation H. But, um, <laughs> but, 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 it's, but, but in the original score, it wasn't a fugue at all. It was just a pedal note or something like this. And then using... The, 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 so it wasn't really a fugue. A fugue um, is a very formal structure and with what's called tonal and real answers. And I want to write a real fugue. But what that does for us, it, 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 underneath the dialogue, so Dan has the, the, kind of, the kind of tableau of people looking right up front of the audience and... Talk and all the excitement uh, of the of the approaching moment, and so I invented a few which um, uses the again the me and my girl tune, and the, so that you you develop the the idea you get you so. So, so that the, the that little motif is repeated in different keys, and that's called to- tonal answers. So it's quite an elaborate idea, quite baroque, but it gives it gives uh, dignity, I think, to the you know the nobility who are all getting ready. At the same time, mm. it, it gives busyness and uh, agitation, which is great. Because that's one of the things that I've loved about what Gareth has done is that the piece is often said to be quintessentially English, and so it contains so many references itself in the original score that are, are hark back to uh, the Baroque, Baroque period or the Romantic period or, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan and so we've extended those references to keep the Englishness of it but there are also moments like in The Sun Has Got His Hat On where you know the script says after many many glasses of pims the the company get more and more drunk and uh, the party becomes more and more raucous and so we were thinking about what is the most kind of life-affirming joyful raucous atmosphere and you know, very quickly we alighted on, say, a carnival atmosphere. Hence, then Gareth gave us so many different Latin American carnivalesque um, 
themes, but but never deviating too far from the actual tune yeah. of The Sun Has Got His Hat On. Well, added to which, you know, all the, the Latin American music belongs to Latin American countries, which are hot countries. And also, don't forget, all those Latin American rhythms were well established even in the late 1800s. So they're not anachronistic in any way. And then, then again, but you always have to be in abeyance to the tune. So, so um, something like the summer's got its hat on in the major key. What could be simpler tune than that? But in the minor key... Already it lends itself to... tune I'm at least using the harmonies underneath there but in the minor key that's the cardinal rule is that you don't you don't waver from the tune and you always if not uh, if not express it out loud then you you do it covertly it's absolutely fascinating to watch you work like it is incredible and to get that insight into where it kind of started and where it's come now is just incredible so coming on to like the staging and the kind of piecing together of this world how is it for both of you working with such huge casts, um, both in a musical sense and, and kind of staging and directing? What are the challenges and the privileges of that? Well, it is quite a thing to hold. We have 24 in the cast, and I have to say we have a brilliant cast who are really disciplined, and so many of them are proper triple threats, you know, people who sing, act and dance. But nevertheless, it is quite a thing to hold that many people in the room. You've got lots, you know, a big creative team and a big cast, a great stage management team. So there can be 40 people in the room. And, you know, as the leaders of that room, it does, you know, there is a responsibility. And so you try and, you know, obviously lead by example. But it's, it's interesting just to come back to Gareth for a second. There's a section, for example, in The Lambeth Walk, and this is just an example of how inventive Gareth is, I guess, but where we knew we wanted a, a, sp- a section where everyone would play the spoons. And I had no idea how we would teach the spoons because, you know, it's you know a rhythmic section. But actually, Gareth brilliantly got everyone to say these rhymes that he made up and then to mimic that rhythm of the words with the spoons. And that was just an example of how the company completely gobbled up Gareth's exercise and we managed to do that with a great group of people and your idea very, very quickly. Do you remember? Yes, it was yes, they, they, yes, they, yeah. they just gobbled it up. I mean, partly because it was so clear what you did. But that's, that's also due to the fact that we're working with a very fast-minded, big group of people. I, and you know, I never thought of it until about half an hour before when you said you're going to do the spoons. <laughs> Sorry. And I thought, oh, God. And Somewhere in the, the brain, I, I just came up with this mnemonic device, which would be to use... I can't remember what the lyrics of the mnemonic... Uh, right, right, said Fred, both of us together... Oh, I can't remember the No, lyrics. I can't remember. But, uh, well, My Old Man's a Dustman was one of yeah, them, wasn't it? any old iron, any old iron... Any, 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 any old, old iron. iron. My right, old man's a dustman, he wears a dustman's hat. hat. <laughs> anyway, but, but, but it meant that it was you... Because they were using those rhythms, once they learned the words as a mnemonic, then they could 
interpret them on the spoons. And, and so, and we did it very quickly. I've never used that idea before, but I think I'll use it from now on. Definitely. And by the way, you, you, you were talking about, um, you know, the original production in the 1980s. And I have a wonderful story because I went to see that production on a matinee. And uh, before the show, I went to the bar with, with my friend. We had a, had a drink in the bar. And this very good-looking guy was behind the bar serving drinks. And at one point, completely without any introduction, he just stood on the bar and sang to everybody, just sang at the top of his voice, all these wonderful songs. And the audience was going, who is this guy? C- completely uninhibited. And it was such a it was such a wonderful thing and so it was so unexpected. Anyway, that guy was Clive Rowe. That was Clive. You know, he was just he, he just wanted he, I mean he was just front of our staff and working in the bar and he just wanted to sing to people. Isn't that amazing? This is way before he went into the business. And now he's playing our Sir yeah. John Tremaine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. Yeah. So being an older musical, there may be some perceptions of its relevance. Daniel, how is your vision making it relevant in today's world? Well, I think it's relevant to our audiences in many ways. I mean, there are obvious things like it's set mostly in Hampshire, which is just across the border here. But it's also, I think, what I've enjoyed about the audience reaction is that, um, you know, people people can um, comment on our audience and our audience's age. And that, you know, sometimes gets my goat because actually it's ageist. And we have a really loyal audience who actually love their musicals. So when we first, we did our first preview, one of the things that I was really moved by was there was people singing along because these tunes they probably remember from their childhood and they've become part of their DNA. So, so there's a sort of memory aspect that we're also uh, keying into. But I think there's also something else, which is that the play, uh, the musical, deals with class and... The, the intersection of love and class and whether cl- love can trump class and whether cl- whether class is innate and or there's a nature nurture debate within the piece and I think one of the again mis- misconceptions about our area here is that we are just affluent and as you know George you've heard me say this many many times that actually we we have one of the poorest districts in the Arran district in this county or in this region, um, one of the poorest districts in in the whole country. Along the coastal strip there, there are many, many people who are old Cockneys who moved out of London, you know, 30 years ago when London started to boom in terms of its property. And they got out and now they're living amongst us here. So there's a sort of... Um, there's this strange demographic here where affluence lives alongside deprivation. And, and of course, that, that's, this is a musical where those two things come together in the most joyful way. And that the thing that carries people through this divide is love. Um, and so I'm hoping that um, all kinds of people could come and enjoy and see themselves reflected in the different characters. Hmm. And so as well, we've already kind of touched on this, but in similar fashion, what does a kind of fresh staging or reimagining of an older piece and a classic piece mean for the scores? I mean, let's say if we take uh, the Lambert Port, for instance, what refreshing have you done to make that updated to match this vision? Musically. The Lambeth Walk is what it is. I mean, it, it's so well known. It's, it's an iconic song. And in fact, what what Dan and Alistair wanted was a dance-off between the aristocrats and the, the plebs. And that's exactly what we did. So there's a fancy Straussian waltz. Uh, and then 
and then um, there's a kind of rather smug, uh, a kind of gavotte, isn't there? Mm. And then when the Cockneys dance, it's all kind of uh, bashy and stompy. And so it was great fun doing that. And, and then I said, well, okay, what about Parchester then? So she's known quite early on for this coloratura soprano identity. And so we introduced, just for no reason at all, completely gratuitously, that she would have a, a moment. And so she sings this coloratura stuff. And so we had great fun with it. But then you have to let go. You just have to let the Lambeth Walk go chorus after chorus after chorus. There's only one way to do it. And right to the end. until So it just sticks in the brain. You know, that tune, anyway, is very difficult to get rid of. It's, it's like a, a kitten sticking to a blanket. You can't, you can't get rid of it. It's a great way to end Act One. It's probably one of the best end of Act One finales. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's just unadulterated joy, or it should be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the noise at the end of that one, I mean, yeah. from the audience is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah good. Yeah. It's incredible. And so just one final question to round off. Why should audiences come and see me and my girl? Look, I mean, I think that we live in difficult times. We're now in a place with Brexit, for example, which isn't looking good. Um, any outcome is not good. Uh, we, we're, we live in a world where there's strife, conflict, and also I think um, the... The, the pressures on modern day life anyway, day-to-day living are far, I think this is true now, mm. far greater mm. than we were equipped to deal with. I remember, my, I think my childhood, for example, was much simpler and easier than it is than it would be today. And so I just look around the auditorium. Don't forget, I have the best seat in the house. Mm. I look around the auditorium and I see people. There were two women sitting next door to each other last night. And they were beaming from ear to ear, and they never stopped. They were just almost, I mean, I, I saw their teeth the whole night. <laughs> I mean, that's, look, if, the, if only for two and a half hours they come and see a show, and they're taken away, and it's just joy and the happiness. Come on, I mean, that's not bad, is it? You also get to see Les Brotherston's fantastic sets. Yes, yes. You get to hear Gareth's wonderful yes. arrangements. And, and Doug Besterman's orchestrations. And Mark Cumberland. Doug is, is one of the, well, he is the, the kingpin orchestrator now. In, in, he's the go-to guy on Broadway. And Mark Cumberland, who's our you know, homegrown orchestrator, it match, you know, it matched that. Wonderful, wonderful, inventive orchestrations. You've also got Alastair David's really inventive, witty yeah. choreography, um, and you've got some uh, a, a brilliant cast of actors, 24 of them, um, yeah. who are at the top of their game, and every show they give their all. And um, I hope people are leaving the auditorium at the end of the show happy. Well, I'm sure they will, and they have done so far. Thank you both so much for joining me this morning. It's been absolutely lovely chatting to you. Me and my girl runs until the 25th of August, so make sure you come down and see it. And I hope the rest of the run goes fantastically well for you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please do like, rate and share on our SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for something just as marvellous. You won't be disappointed. And come and see me and my girl. That won't disappoint either. Thank you for listening. Thank you.